those of you who are new visiting, my name's Jonathan, and uh, together with my wife, a uh, group of elders, and Wesley and Anshin, I have the privilege of leading this congregation, and it's a great privilege for me to be with you tonight with our evening service again, and uh, continuing with our sermon series called Miracles, and uh, if you've been part of what we've been doing in the last couple of weeks, you would know that as an every nation movement, as a global movement of churches, or family of churches, in the beginning of every year, we unite around a specific theme, and every year there's a new theme, and throughout the world, whatever every nation church you would visit, you would hear someone speaking on one of the topics of this theme, and during this time as well, we dedicate a time for prayer and fasting. It's a time where we unite together for what we believe God has called us to do and to be as a global church. It's a time where we unite around what we believe God is calling to us to as a global church. And this year's theme, Miracles, is about us as a movement acknowledging that we believe that God is still doing miracles. Do you believe that God is still doing miracles? There's a, there's a move currently in the world that believes that miracles ceased with the apostolic age, in the first church, or the first church age, with the apostles. That was the time of miracles, and there's a group of Christians that believes that miracles ended with that period, but we say, we believe that God is still doing miracles today, and we should trust Him for miracles. Not just for the sake of us experiencing miracles, but we want to see change in our lives. We believe God is doing miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit to bless people, but ultimately to advance His kingdom. And that's why we seek miracles. That's why we're pursuing miracles. We want to say, God, we want to extend our faith to see you move in our lives. Because we want to experience your blessing, but ultimately so that others may know you. So that you may advance your kingdom powerfully through us. So when we speak about healing, when we speak about provision, we're not just asking God to provide and heal for us. We also want to be vehicles of his miracles. We want to go into the world. We want to be channels of provision. If you were here last week, Wesley spoke on uh, how Jesus multiplied the bread and fish and how he fed 5,000 people. That's, that sermon speaks about us giving what we have to God and we say, God, use it to bless others. We want to immerse ourselves in the teachings and miracles of Jesus so that we'll be vessels of miracles. We want to go into the world and confidently pray for people and expect God to move so that he will be known. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at different miracles in the book of John, the gospel of John. And tonight, we're going to continue. We're going to look at a very specific miracle where Jesus enters a specific location to demonstrate the mercy of God. Two important things there. You can tell the person next to you. Specific location. To demonstrate the mercy of God. Okay, did you get that? Specific location for the mercy of God. 
my work here is done. Enjoy your evening. Bless you. Grab a Malawian coffee. We're going to look at the miracle of the paralyzed man and how Jesus healed this man at a very specific location to demonstrate God's mercy. And if you have your Bible with you, I would love you to turn to John 5 as we find this account of this miracle in John 5, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, you're welcome to follow me on the screen as well. So before we read this, uh, let's pray together. So Father, we thank you once again for the privilege of being able to study your word, to listen to your word, and to submit our lives onto your word. And Lord, as we gather as a church here tonight, Lord, we gather for your name's sake and for your kingdom. It's not about us, Lord. It's not for us. It's not about any other name but your name, Lord Jesus. And therefore, we in this moment come and we lift up your word as our highest authority. And Lord, we say we put our trust in your word, and we believe that your word is powerful and active and alive, and through your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would come and speak to us as a church, as individuals, through your word. May you guide my words, and may you lead us in all truth, Lord, ultimately, so that you would lead us closer to your heart for each one of us. Lord, we thank you for this moment, and we pray for your will to be done. And all of us say, Amen. Amen. So I'm excited. I need you guys to be a little bit more excited. Okay. Um, almost as excited as you were with a chair coming onto the stage. That, that was unique. Uh, we're going to read together. John 5 was one. I'm going to read from an NIV translation. You can follow that with me on the screen. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Arabic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to live, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. We're going to pause just here for a moment. We're going to look at some of the detail that is given to us in these first three sentences. See, we can sometimes create this Instagram versions of biblical accounts. And what I mean by that is in our minds, as we read a story like this, we can create this Instagram vision of the setting that is taking place. We'll have this Instagram picture of, of Jesus in this well-dressed clothes, steeping down to speak to this paralyzed man. And it's just this perfect lighting. It's great exposure. Everything just looks holy. In our minds, it's just, it's beautiful. It's just, wow. It's the Instagram version of the Bible. But the reality most probably was completely different. We say that we see that this, um, this pool was situated near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. It's interesting. Why do you think this gate's name is the Sheep Gate? Well, they were tired, so they just named the gate through which they took the sheep, the sheep gate. And that's the truth. It was called the sheep gate because that's the gate through which they entered the sheep and other livestock to go to the temple for sacrifice. So when they had to name the gates, they went, what are we going to call that one in the back there in the corner? And they went, oh, this is, uh, who travels through it? The sheep, let's call it the sheep gate. 
It's the sheep gate. It's where they took the animals to be sacrificed, or where they entered the animals into Jerusalem to be sacrificed in the temple. Now, can you for a moment taint your Instagram picture of this biblical account with the reality of livestock? Can you for a moment imagine the sights and the smells and the flies and everything else that comes with livestock? That's the gate where this pool is situated at. It's most probably smelly and dirty. What's more, this is not a swimming pool like the one that you see there in the picture. It's not the swimming pool that you will find on campus or in your backyard. It was probably a pool as big as a rugby field or larger. And there were hundreds, a multitude of paralyzed people lying around this pool waiting to be healed. Now, most of these people were blind and lame and paralyzed as we saw there. So these people were lying there and in all probability would not often be able to wash themselves. What you would see at this pool was not Instagram, but really a, not a nice sight. In all fairness, we could expect unpleasant sights and smells at this pool. See, these people were lying there around this pool, and most probably in the midst of the sights and smells and the dirt and the flies of the animals, these people were crying out for help, aloud sometimes, crying out for mercy, crying out for someone to help them, weeping and wailing, some of them suffering and in pain, just everything about this reality doesn't speak about Instagram. It speaks about hopelessness, despair, and desperation. This is not the Instagram version, but rather the messy setting which Jesus will enter. It's a messy part of the city. And Jesus is entering this area for a specific reason. And just thinking of how Jesus was willing to go into this messy area reminds me that Jesus didn't enter this world for the Instagram version of our lives, but for the messy, desperate, and hopeless versions. Jesus came to this world for the messiness, not the perfect Instagram lives. What's more, we see that this pool is named Bethesda. And Bethesda means house of mercy. For a very specific reason, people refer to this place as the house of mercy because they believe it was superstition that an angel would come down and an angel would stir this pool. And whenever the water was stirred, they believed that whoever got into the water first when the water was stirred, that that person will be healed. Now, there's no biblical or non-biblical evidence that this was actually true, but the people believed it. So people went to this house of mercy to receive healing, to Bethesda, seeking healing from this place of mercy. Even today, people are still searching for various kinds of healing at different places of mercy. Our culture 
as multitudes of people for the sake of this sermon that is spiritually blind. People that are, the souls are lame or even dead. People who are emotionally paralyzed. People who are crippled by fear, anxiety, stress, depression, and burnout. And today, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are seeking spiritual, emotional, and physical healing at different modern-day Bethesdas, places of mercy. Bethesdas, places where we put our hope and trust in to receive healing for our soul and our emotions. Bethesdas are finances. Put my trust in wealth and money. We're not pursuing the righteousness and the reason and the purpose that God has given us in finances, but rather that finances will give significance to my life, that finances will give security to my life, that if I have more, I will be happier. And we seek and we focus on these Bethesdas to bring healing to our souls. Bethesdas of relationships, where we look at relationships to come and heal something that's wrong in our emotions, and people run from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship, simply to be accepted and loved and to feel accepted and loved. And people will do whatever they can to be accepted in relationship. And we'll run and, and certain people, groups will act in a certain way to be accepted and then another place will act in another place in another way to be accepted because we're trusting that these relationships will heal the pain in our souls. These relationships will be the mercy for the healing of my emotions. People run to Bethesda's of sexual pleasure. Diving into the pool of pornography. Hoping that that moment and that sensation and that joy I might receive from sexual pleasure will bring healing inside of me. run to Bethesda's of substances. We return to different substances like food and alcohol and various forms of drugs. Bethesda's where we look at, at our appearances. If I looked differently, if I had, had this Instagram version of myself, then I will feel better. Bethesda's of performances where I'm defined by what I do. And the more I do and the better I do it, the more successful and safe and accepted I am. And people are searching for healing for what they're struggling with in their heart and their souls and their minds at different Bethesdas, modern-day Bethesdas. And the problem with these modern-day Bethesdas, they promise temporary hope, but they do not bring lasting change. These Bethesdas brings momentarily relief to our souls, momentarily emotional relief. Whatever one of them that I've mentioned now, if you, if you receive a massive paycheck at the end of the month, you're going to go, yeah, I'm feeling good. If you're in a great relationship, it's great to be loved and accepted. 
If you're in a healthy space and you're looking good and you're feeling great, it's good. Even some sexual pleasures might give moments of thinking, but it gives false hope of healing that is not lasting. And it entices us in thinking that these things will bring healing. What is your Bethesda? What is the thing that you're trusting and putting your hope in for healing? And you might sit here tonight and think, well, that's not such a big thing. I'm an emotional eater. And whenever I struggle and stressed, I just eat a little bit more. Surely that's not a bad Bethesda. Just occasionally, I use something to take off the edge. What's your Bethesda? What's the thing that you're putting your trust and hope in for healing? If we continue verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? This is a question that each one of us at one stage of our lives will need to answer. Do you want to get well? What Jesus is asking this person in this moment, do you really want to see change in your life? And every one of us will have to answer this question at one stage. We'll be confronted with who we are and the way we live, and we need to ask the question and answer the question, do I want to see change in my life? Do I really want to see change in your life? Do you want to get well? And this is how he responds to this question of Jesus. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. This man's answer to Jesus is full of helplessness and hopelessness. Do you want to change? And he turns to Jesus and says, well, there's no one here who can help me. I'm paralyzed. I need to get into the pool. There's no one here to help me. I am helpless. You know, when you're in a space where you're emotionally paralyzed, where your soul feels lame, that is one of the biggest lies that the enemy tries to tell us. You are alone. There's no one who can help you. You are alone. This man says to Jesus, I'm helpless. There's no one who helps me. And then he says, and when I try, when I try to be better, when I try to do more, when I try to be the best version of myself, when I try to stop doing these things, when I try to receive healing, there's always someone else that goes ahead of me that receives it. And it's hopeless. Helpless and hopeless. I don't know about you, but I'm just saddened by this man's answer to Jesus. He would imagine Jesus asked him, do you want to see change in your life? Do you want to get well? We're waiting, we're expecting this man to go, for 38 years, I've been waiting for someone to ask me this question. You expect this guy to go, yes, 
please, whatever you can do, please, I want to see change. I want to see something happen in my life. Yes, please help me. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And I'm just so saddened by this because he's, he's so focused on his challenges and his circumstances and what he's trusting for healing that he misses who's standing in front of him, Jesus. He's so focused on I'm, I'm helpless, I'm alone, I cannot, cannot get into the pool and the pool's there to help. He's so focused on these things that he misses that the only one who can truly bring healing to his soul is standing right in front of him. And he missed Jesus. There's a warning in this for each one of us. We can get so focused on our circumstances, our challenges, and the things that we're trusting for, that we can miss what God wants to do in our lives. We can just get so caught up in these circumstances and Challenges that we might miss what God wants to do in your life. So you need to ask yourself, facing these moments of paralysis where you need healing, where are you focusing? Where's your focus? Is your focus on the challenges and the circumstances and the things that you think will bring healing or is your focus on Jesus? What are you focusing on? But we know that God is a compassionate God. And even though this man does not respond of the way that we think he should respond to Jesus, we know in John 1 that Jesus is explained as being full of mercy and grace. And Jesus, full of mercy and grace, responds to this paralyzed man. And he says to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. See, Jesus responds with a three-part instruction. And we're going to stand still at these three things. Firstly, Jesus says, get up. Find this fascinating. It means a paralyzed man. This is the last thing you would expect Jesus to do. Is to say, okay, stand up. Get up. Maybe you're expecting Jesus to touch his legs, pray for his legs, touch him or pull him up or something, but Jesus doesn't do it. Jesus goes, get up. And in that moment, Jesus is calling this man out of his situation, out of the circumstances of paralysis, and he's calling him into a new life. He says, get up. This man responds to Jesus, and he gets up. See, there's something beautiful that we take from this picture, so that when we respond to Jesus in faith, we will discover that not only does he heal us, but he strengthens us to rise above our circumstances. Not only did Jesus heal this man in this moment, but he also strengthened him to stand up. See, when Jesus says, rise up, get up, he's not just healing us, he's empowering us and strengthening us to rise above our circumstances, to stand strong through the things that we're facing. He's the one that gives us strength, not just healing, but strength to go through it. 
get up. Get up. And then Jesus says, pick up your mat. What a weird statement. Get up, I get. Okay, get up. It's like, strengthen those feeble knees. Rise up. Then Jesus says this, what we would consider a weird thing. Pick up your mat. Who's the lady, I know I asked this in the morning service as well, but I lost it. Who's that lady who's constantly um, like, minimalizing and cleaning and do you know what I'm talking about? I thought you guys were watching Netflix. Mary Kondo or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Who? No, it's not Mary Poppins. Oh, man. Oh. You're good at singing, though. <laughs> but Jesus is not a minimalist. He's not like, a, okay, listen, clean up after yourself. We're going to leave this place. We need to leave it nice and tidy. Jesus tells him, pick up your mat. Why? Why is Jesus telling him, pick up your mat? For 38 years, this mat has become the permanent residence of this man. This mat has become the symbol of his paralysis. The symbol, his home of who he is. And Jesus says, pick up your mat for what I'm doing now. It's not just a moment of change. I'm changing everything. You'll not be coming back to this place. I'm bringing lasting change. Pick up your mat. This is not your home. There's a new life and a new destiny and a new home that awaits you. Pick up your mat. See, when Jesus touches our lives, it's not just for moments of healing. When Jesus touches our lives, he brings lasting change into our lives. And there's a promise and a faith that goes with this that we will not return to that place of paralysis. And Jesus strengthens us to move on. It's a permanent work that he does. Pick up your mat. This is not your home. There's something new, a new life and a new destiny. And then Jesus says, walk. Walk. Walk away from this place. Walk away from these circumstances. Continue to walk in this new life. Continue to walk in this healing. Continue to walk in this restoration. Continue to walk in what I have in store for you. Continue to walk. Do not return back. Do not go back to your old condition, but continue to walk out your healing in me. See, we continue to walk out our healing, and we discover this new life in Christ through continued obedience to Jesus. Jesus touches your life and does something in you. You continue to walk into his will, into his purposes, into his destiny, and ultimately into his calling by continued obedience to Jesus. Keep on walking. Pick up your mat. Get up and walk. See, this man's response to Jesus brought healing to his paralyzed body that resulted in a completely new life. That was the result of his response. The question we need to ask ourselves is, how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to what Jesus is calling us to do? What is Jesus telling you to get up out of? And how are you responding to Jesus?
in preparing for this message, I was just constantly fascinated by this idea of being paralyzed. What does it mean and how does it feel? And, and I kept on going back to a <clears throat> specific occasion in my life, which was probably the closest that I've ever felt to being paralyzed. And some of this you might know and some of you might not know this at all, but um, 17th of June in 2021, I was that morning diagnosed with uh, COVID-19, positive with COVID-19. Those of you who are close to me have heard me share on this and share part of my testimony, but in large parts, I've never really talked about it from the stage. And there's so many things that I can share around this, but for the purpose of this message and what I want to convey this evening, there's certain things that are going to highlight and certain things that I'm going to leave out. But I was diagnosed, felt at that stage that everybody was testing positive for COVID. But roughly between 48 hours, my condition rapidly degenerated. At that stage, I was confined to my home, my wife and my kids. And within 48 hours, I went from feeling sick to not being able to breathe. I had extremely high fever that just didn't break. I stopped eating. I lost all strength and energy in my body. And I started coughing blood at home. I was in a really, really bad and dangerous place. Uh, so much so that my wife, Lindry, um, after consulting with some of our medical friends, uh, knew that I urgently had to be admitted into hospital. Uh, but at that stage, all the hospitals were full in Pretoria. Um, if you can remember, if you were in Pretoria that season, it was just, it was crazy, crazy time. And if I remember correctly, there were three occasions that I was rushed to the hospital and they just didn't have room for me. So I was in the emergency room, they put me on oxygen for a couple of hours and then they discharged me again. And for us as a family, getting into an hospital became our Bethesda. We obviously trusted God to bring healing, but there was a sense and a hope that if I can just get into a hospital... I'll be okay. I'm saying this, at this stage, I was out of it. It's probably the best way of describing it. So my wife's prayer and some of our elders were gathering uh, regularly and just trying to get me into hospital. And by the grace of God, through relationships and through spiritual family, um, someone phoned us, a friend of ours phoned us and said, he's got a doctor friend who's working in a little company of Mary's who's on shift. He's doing an emergency shift there. He organized it for someone, and they have a bed open for me. They need to rush me to the hospital. That was our Bethesda. Well, I remember lying there in the emergency room, being admitted into the hospital, and I just such a clear sense how God told me, you're in trouble. Brace yourself. Just knew, just knew God spoke to me in that moment. Brace yourself, you're in trouble. I remember lying there in this emergency room. Uh, I didn't know if this would be the end. And I'm not saying it lightly. I had a real sense that this, going into this place and I have to go alone, at that stage patient or, or visitors wasn't allowed in the hospitals and 
I didn't know if I'm saying goodbye to my wife for the last time. So I said goodbye to my children for the last time. I went into that hospital not knowing, is this it? What followed was probably the hardest and most difficult couple of days that I've ever faced as an individual. Uh, my condition just worst, worsened. The opposite happened from what we trusted for in the hospital. I became worse. In the next couple of days, I was constantly in and out of consciousness, um, struggling to remember some of the things that happened. I got to a place where I had no breath in my lungs. I was completely dependent on oxygen. Um, that photo that you see there is a couple of days later when I was better. Um, but I just had nothing in me. I couldn't breathe without oxygen. I had no strength in my body. I couldn't walk three steps without somebody helping me. I really struggled. Couldn't speak at that stage. Struggled to get up. And for all practical reasons, reflecting back, it felt as if I was paralyzed. Completely dependent on oxygen, alone, feeling helpless. No one there. And one evening specifically, it was such a tough, tough evening. And I thought, and I'm really so careful in what I'm sharing, but I felt this is how it feels to die. One evening, and the best way I can describe it, I just felt as if life was leaving my body. And I thought, I'm dying. I've got all these emotions going through my head of my kids and my wife and future and things I would have loved to have seen and done and Faith, where does faith fit in this? And it's just this really, really tough moment. I'm just lying there and I can do nothing. I'm paralyzed. And in the midst of this, I just remember there's one maybe moment of clarity by God's grace where I just said, God, help me. Whatever needs to happen next, whatever I will have to face, help me. And what followed is so difficult for me to put in words. But I've never, ever experienced the tangible presence of God like I've experienced it in that moment, in that hospital room. It was just as if the presence of God was just thick in the air. I've never experienced something like that. And I felt what I can only explain as a form of a hand on my chest. And it presses and pressing down. And in that moment, probably for the first time in a couple of days, I've had this moment of deep breath. And that was the only breath. There wasn't another breath. There wasn't, there was just this moment where I felt something pressing down on my chest. And I had this moment of breath. And in that moment, as clear as I hear you here today. I felt God speaking to me and saying, I am with you. And 
And the next moment, peace that transcends all understanding filled me. It's so difficult for me to explain to people what I felt and saw on that evening. But I know, and I know that I know that God is alive. And in my toughest and hardest moment facing death, I feel so privileged that the creator of the heaven and earth was willing to go, I'm with you. I feel super loved. And something in that moment changed in my soul. If I'm really honest, I didn't know if I will survive. Spoiler alert, I'm still here. <laughs> You're waiting for the end of the testimony, and by God's grace, I was healed two weeks later. And sometimes God heals, and I was privileged enough to testify of His healing, but sometimes God does not heal. But what I can tell you is regardless of what you're facing and going through, when God touches you in the way that I experienced him, something changes in your soul. And then in that moment, I felt God say to me, rise up. Now reflecting back, it felt like a rise up moment for me. Knowing that God is with me. And regardless of what happens in this life, regardless of what myself and my family might still have to face, there's one thing that I know that I know that God is with me. And he's real, and he's loving, and full of compassion. There's more to this story, and I wish I could share more to you. But I can tell you, my darkest moment is a moment that I will cherish for the rest of my life. I don't know what's paralyzing you. What's paralyzing your body, your soul, your emotion. But I know that Jesus was willing to enter the sinful and messy world in order order to deal with the messy part of our lives. I know that if you really want to see change in your life, that you should turn away from the Bethesda's where you're putting your hope in. And you should turn to the one who became the mercy of God. Jesus came to earth and he is the new house of mercy. He is the new demonstration of God's mercy and grace. And we should move away from modern day Bethesda's and turn to God's mercy. And put our focus on Jesus. And when we do this, we will see that he is the only one that can heal us and restore us. Because he was willing to become a man. He was willing to enter this messy, sinful world. And in the midst of this chaos, Jesus lived a life that completely honored God, complete obedience to God, a sinless life, a life that we struggle to live and we'll never be able to live. And he honored God in the way that he lived. But he was willing to die in the way that we deserve. Suffering on the cross, suffering for the effects of sin, Suffering for the sins of this world. Suffering because of my sin and your sin. And on that cross in the moment, in the midst of that suffering, he took all pain and sickness and calamities and destruction and paralysis and whatever sin and destruction of this world he took on his body. And he died for us. 
And in that moment, it was done. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he now has authority to go to our lives, to enter the messy part of our lives and go, rise up, because I've overcome sin. Rise up, because I'm greater than this thing that you're facing. Rise up, because I have the authority to strengthen and empower you by my spirit. Rise up, take your mat and walk, because I am the one who's defeated death and sin and the highest authority on earth. And he offers new life to each one of us who's willing to turn to him and respond in faith, that He is the Lord and Savior, the only one who can heal you. How will you respond to Him? You respond in faith, and may you hear Him say to you this evening, get up, take your mat, and walk, walk in the new life that I have for you, the new plan, the new destiny, and the new calling, so I want to bring change that will change your soul forever, not just a moment, let's pray, So as we're closing our eyes and just in a moment of prayer, I want you to just reflect over this message, over this paralyzed man. And maybe ask yourself the question, what's the Batistas where you're putting your faith in, your trust? And for some of us, this is a moment where you might have to repent of those Batistas and turn away from them and say, God, I'm sorry that I've been relying on these things. I'm sorry that I've put my faith in hope. And these things to bring healing to my soul. Some of us need to ask God, God, what's the healing that I need? What's the thing that's paralyzing my emotions and my soul? And some of us need to reflect back and say, thank you, God, that you've touched my life. Thank you that you've removed the mat in my life, that I've moved on from where I was. Just thank you, God. I want to give you a moment just to pray into that. If you need to repent, repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm turning away from this and I'm turning back to you. Ask God to reveal what's the, what's the healing that you're trusting for. Or maybe just thank God for the healing that he's already done in your soul. Lord, this evening we want to acknowledge that all of us need change in our life. All of us have test us that we run to, Lord, in moments of weakness where we try to find healing and restoration for those areas that's painful and paralyzing our emotions, Lord. 
Lord, tonight we want to turn from those things and we want to put our focus on you, Lord, and we want to acknowledge that you are the only one that's able to heal, that you are the only one that's able to bring lasting change in our lives, Lord. So we ask, Lord, would you speak to us? Our faith and our hope and our trust is in you, Lord. Would you command us and tell us how we need to get up? May you empower us and strengthen you to follow you in faith. And Lord, may you help us to walk out this new life in obedience to who you are and what you call us to. We need you, God. Would you help us? This evening, I want to end off in a specific way, and I want to pray for a specific group of people. You're sitting here, and you know there's something in your soul that's paralyzed. There's something in your emotions that is paralyzed, and you almost need to hear God say over your life, get up. If that's you, if you need to, if you want to turn to Jesus, and you want to put your focus on Him, and want to say, Lord, may you strengthen me to walk in the way that you've called me to would you bring life to my soul? If that's you, I want to ask that you would stand. Not to expose you or any other thing, but almost prophetically, as this paralyzed man was commanded to stand, to stand in front of Jesus and say, Lord, I acknowledge that I need you. Would you strengthen me? If that's you, would you stand up? So, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in their lives now, Lord. By faith, we believe that you're sending your spirit, Lord. And I pray now that in your grace and mercy that you would, by your spirit, come and touch them, Lord. I pray that you would give them strength to rise up above their circumstances, above the things that's pulling them down, above the things that's pulling their focus away from you, Lord. And I pray now that by your spirit that you would come and do something in their soul. May you bring a life to their soul, Lord. May you bring new fire to their soul, a passion to their soul, Lord. I pray for their emotions to submit under your authority, Lord, and that they will hear your truth just permeate their heart and their minds in this moment, Lord Jesus. I pray now that they will hear your words speak over their lives, the defining words, get up, take your mat and walk. Lord, I pray for each one of them that they will walk into the calling that you have on their lives. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them to persevere and move beyond these challenges, Lord. And I pray for breakthrough in their souls. Lord, as we do this, I pray for your presence and your peace to come. Because you're a God of peace. May you fill them with your peace now, Lord Jesus. We thank you that by faith we can believe you're changing their souls, their emotions. Pray and ask this in your name. And all of us say, Amen. I want to conclude this evening with this picture of this pool of Bethesda. And sometimes as a church, we expect the blind and the lame and the paralyzed of this world to come to church to receive healing. And church, in a sense, becomes Bethesda. But Jesus went into the messy part of the world. And he went to the sick 
and the lame and the blind and the paralyzed. If we want to be a church that fulfills the God, calling of God in our lives, we don't need want to wait for people to come to church. We need to go into the world and bring Jesus to them. And if you've experienced Jesus in your life and you experience Him touching your soul and bringing healing to your soul, there's a responsibility on us to go into the messy parts of the world and show Jesus to them so that others may know Him and others may experience Him. So may we be a church, may we be a congregation, a service that don't just gather for the sake of gathering. Don't just gather for the sake of experiencing Jesus when we're together, but maybe gather for the sake that we are empowered to go and bring Jesus to this world. And may others know Him because of what we do here. Amen.